this very special window from these ageless windows to the past enables you to visualize the moving and awesome life of the Bob. A life of agony which ended with his miraculous martyrdom. Before I talk about his history, I like to give you an introduction by mentioning a few facts about Islam and the condition of Iran in that period. The sources used for this presentation are God Passes By by The Guardian, The Dawnbreakers by Nabili Zarandi, and The Bab by Baliuzi. The Prophet, founder of Islam, was Muhammad, who was followed by eleven Imams. After Muhammad's death, the first Imam was Imam Ali, who was his son-in-law. These eleven Imams succeeded Muhammad for 260 years. Five years before the death of the last Imam, supposedly, a son was born who, when his father died, presided over the funeral of his father, and then disappeared and went to some underground passages in the two mysterious cities called Jabulga and Jabulsa. According to the Shia sect of Islam, he is still living and expected to come out of hiding at the end of time. For about 69 years he communicated with the Muslims through emissaries called the Gates or Abvab, which is the plural of the Bab. This period of 69 years when four of these Gates came is called the Minor Occultation. After the fourth Gate died, he did not appoint another Gate and this period of Islam is called the major occultation, which means no communication with the twelfth Imam till the end of time. This brief information about the Imams of the Shia sect of Islam was given because the Bab appeared among them, but by no means one should conclude that the Shiites were the only people whose scriptures prophesied his appearance. The Baha'i belief, as expounded by the Guardian in God Passes By, pages 57 and 58, is that the Bab was the Ghaim, meaning he who ariseth, promised to the Shiites, the Mehdi, meaning one who is guided, awaited by the Sunni sect of Islam, the return of John the Baptist, expected by the Christians, the Ushi Dharma referred in the Zoroastrian scriptures and the return of Elijah anticipated by the Jews. The time that the Bab appeared was one of the darkest periods in the history of Iran. Here was a country morally corrupt and intellectually bankrupt, having been ruled by greedy rulers and inept prime ministers. It must be rare in history to find three successive kings, Fat Ali Shah, Muhammad Shah, and his son Nasruddin Shah, put to death 
their highest ministers who brought them to the throne. Muhammad Shah was the king in whose time the Bab appeared. Fat Ali Shah, who reigned before Muhammad Shah, is known to have had about 1,000 wives and 260 children of whom 110 survived the king. The Persian proverb that says camels, fleas, and princes existed everywhere in the country was very true. About fifty years before the appearance of the Bab, there were two luminaries who were very spiritual and had deep knowledge of Islam. These two were teaching in the holy cities of Karbala and Najaf, which are about fifty miles from Baghdad. They revolutionized some of the understanding of Muslims uh, with their doctrines. One doctrine was that resurrection is not of physical form, but is of spiritual nature. Number two, the promised one, or Ghaim, or twelfth Imam, would be born of a mother, and would not be coming from hiding after one thousand years. The third was very unusual for Muslims of then and today, which was about continuity of coming of messengers of God. Muslims believe Muhammad is the seal of the prophets, and after him no more messengers of God would appear. These luminaries, Sheikh Ahmad and Sayyid Qazim, stated that Muhammad was the seal of the prophets. That means no more prophets coming to prophesy. However, this did not mean he was the seal of the messengers. God would continue to send messengers for guidance of men. They expounded these three major doctrines to a large number of followers who were being prepared for the coming of the Bab. The Bab was born on October 20th, 1819. He was the son of a merchant in Shiraz, a southern city in Iran. His given name was Ali Muhammad, and he was a Sayyid, meaning a descendant of the Prophet Muhammad. His father died when he was quite young, and he was raised by his uncle, Hawji Sayyid Ali, his mother's brother. He had very little education, but he had innate knowledge. By age 15, he joined his uncle in trading in Shiraz, and a year later, he moved to the port city of Boucher to join another uncle in trading. When he was 22, he made pilgrimage to the holy cities of Karbala and Najaf in Iraq, which lasted about seven months. Soon after his return to his hometown of Shiraz, he married Khadija Bagum. His marriage lasted two and a half years, witnessing two tragedies. One was the death of his newborn son Ahmad, and the other one was his own abduction, never to see his wife and mother again. As you recall, I told you, that two teachers, Sheikh Ahmad and Sayyid Qazim, came before the declaration of the Bab to prepare people for the coming of the Promised One. Their doctrines were not actually new doctrines. They were true understanding of Islam's 
holy words. Before the last teacher Sayyid Qasim died, he told his students they should disperse and find the promised one or the twelfth imam called by the Shia sect of Islam the Qa'im. One of these students, Mullah Hussein, headed towards Shiraz and the Bab met him outside the city and invited him to come to his house. Mullah Hussein, not knowing the Bab, thought he was another student of Sayyid Qazim. Mullah Hussein was about 31 years old and the Bab was 25 years old at that time. In the Bab's house, after having tea, the Bab asked him, Who are you expecting to come after your teacher? Mullah Hussain said, No one will teach us any more, but we are looking for the promised Ghaim. The Bab said, Did your teacher give any signs about the promised one? Mullah Hussain said, He told us the promised one would be of medium height, he would be a descendant of the Prophet and free of any bodily defect, and so on. The Bab looked at him and said with a vibrant voice, Behold, all of these signs are manifest in me. This startled Mullah Hussein, who could not believe his ears. Then the Bab asked, Did your teacher give you any other signs about the coming of the Promised One? Mullah Hussain replied, Yes, but he was not at liberty to say what they were. You like to know that there is a chapter or surah in Qur'an, the Islamic holy book, which is called Chapter of Joseph. It is about the brothers betraying Joseph and his life history. When Mullah Hussain asked the last teacher Sayyid Qasim to write a commentary about this chapter, Sayyid Qasim said, This is beyond me. The only one who will do it for you is the promised Qa'im, and he will reveal the commentary without being asked. While Mullah Hussain was recalling that experience, the Bab looked him in the eyes and said, Now is the time for me to reveal the commentary on the chapter of Joseph. You can imagine, it was like a thunderbolt striking Mullah Hussain. So the Bab and asked started to reveal the commentary to this chapter of Qur'an. Mullah Hussain states, He took pen and paper, and as he wrote the commentary, the manner, the rapidity of his writing was heightened by the gentle intonation of his voice. Mullah Hussain, elated and exalted, was beyond himself. That evening was the evening of the declaration of the Bab on May 22, 1844. He told Mullah Hussain, This evening will be celebrated in future throughout the world. He also said, I am the Bab, or the gate, and you are the Babul Bab, meaning the gate to the gate but you must keep your discovery concealed until seventeen more people independently discover me, and then I will give you your instructions. 
It took about 40 days before the second person discovered the bar by himself, and in about three months the number 18 was completed. These first 18 people who believed in the Bab are called Hurufe Hai or the Letters of the Living. One of them was a woman called Tawhere, and one was from India. After their completion, the Bab gave them their assignments. He revealed a tablet in honor of each of them before sending them away. He took the last one, Quddus, with him to go for pilgrimage to Mecca in fulfillment of Islamic prophecy and gave Mullah Hussein, the first to accept him, an unusual assignment, which was to deliver a letter to a person in Tehran, the capital city, without actually mentioning any name. He told Mullah Hussein, Don't be grieved that I have not chosen to take you with me to pilgrimage. The city you will be going to will become the envy of all of the holy cities of the present time. That meant Islamic holy city of Mecca and the like. The Bab and the last letter of the living Quddus did not start their trip until the Bab could hear that Mullah Hussein had successfully carried out his mission. Mullah Hussein, as instructed by the Bab, visited Isfahan and Kashan and then directed his steps toward Tehran. And the rest of 16 letters of the living traveled throughout Iran and neighboring countries to spread the glad tidings of the advent of the promised Qawim. Mullah Hussein had a scroll to deliver, but no name or address on it. After his arrival in Tehran, he lodged in a school where the director of the school was the leading sheikhi in Tehran. The sheikhi community was the followers of the two luminaries, Sheikh Ahmad and Sayyid Qasim. After meeting the director and giving him the great announcement of the coming of the Bab with convincing proofs and arguments, the director not only refused every word Mullah Hussein had to say, but he also accused Mullah Hussein of betraying his teacher Sayyid Qasim. Mullah Hussein tried to stay away from the school as much as he could because the director told him that he had brought shame to the name of his teacher with such outrageous and unacceptable words about the coming of the promised Qawim. A student in the school who was very close to the director and had a room next to his happened to hear all of their conversation and became very eager to meet Mullah Hussein. Late one night, he sat up until he heard Mullah Hussein return to his room. He knocked at the door and Mullah Hussein greeted him. The student said, I could not help but to hear your discussion with the headmaster and I was very surprised about his arrogance, refuting all of your clear and convincing proofs. Mullah Hussein said, Well, I did not find the headmaster receptive, but I am glad to see at least one of his students blessed with a spiritual eye. 
Mullah Hussein asked, What is your name and where is your home? He said, My name is Mullah Muhammad Muallim. Muallim means teacher. And I do home tutoring for children. My hometown is Noor. Mullah Hussein, hearing of Noor, said, What happened to the sons of Mirza Buzurge Nuri? He was the father of Baha'u'llah. Have any of his children proven worthy of his illustrious legacy? The answer was yes. One of his sons, Mirza Hussein Ali, has distinguished himself by the very qualifications which characterized their father. Mullah Hussein's eyes opened wide and he became all ears to hear more about Mirza Hussein Ali. He told the teacher, Do you visit their house often? And the answer was yes. Mullah Hussein gave the scroll wrapped in a cloth to the teacher and requested that he deliver it to Mirza Hussein Ali at the hour of dawn the next morning. The next morning before sunrise, the teacher went to Baha'u'llah's house and was ushered into the presence of Baha'u'llah by his brother Mirza Musa. The teacher handed over the scroll to Mirza Musa, who in turn gave it to Baha'u'llah. The scroll was a few pages from the first chapter of Qayyumul Asma, the commentary of the Surah of Joseph, which the Bab had revealed for Mullah Hussein. Baha'u'llah read parts of it aloud and turned to his brother and said, Musa, what have you to say? Verily I say, Whoso believes in the Qur'an and recognizes its divine origin, and yet hesitates, though it be for a moment, to admit that these soul-steering words are endowed with the same generating power, has most assuredly erred in his judgment and has strayed far from the path of justice. Then he dismissed the teacher with customary gift of hard sugar cone and tea for the messenger Mullah Hussein with expressions of his appreciation and love. The teacher states, I hasten to Mullah Hussein and deliver to him the gift and the message. With tears of joy he stood up and took the gift with bowed head and fervently kissed it. Then he embraced me and kissed my eyes, which had beheld the person destined to receive that scroll. Mullah Hussein told me not to breed this event to any soul, so no harm would come to the nobleman Mirza Hussein Ali. In a short time, Mullah Hussein left for Khorasan, which was his assignment from the Bab, and from there he wrote to the Bab about the gracious response of the nobleman. This message brought great joy to the Bab who told Godus, Now the cause of God is in capable hands, and we could start our journey to Mecca. You wish to know that Mullah Muhammad Muallim, the teacher from Nur, became a believer and was martyred in the episode of Sheikh Tabarsi. It was in September of 1844 
when the Bab Goddus and the Bab's faithful Ethiopian servant Mubarak left Shiraz for the port city of Boucher to take a sailboat for the port city of Jeddah in Arabia. The ship bearing many pilgrims left Boucher on 2nd of October to meet a very stormy ocean. The storm tossing the ship in every direction and later shortage of drinking water caused severe alarm for the pilgrims, but to their surprise day after day, they watched the bulb in serenity was busy revealing verses taken down by Godus. Among the pilgrims was the brother of the Imam Jum'a of Shiraz. Imam Jum'a was the leading clergy who had officiated at the wedding of the Bab and later proved to be the protecting hand of Providence. But his brother, Abu Hashem, was something else. Abu Hashem was watching the Bab and Goddus very closely and being jealous of the Bab's reverence, became daily more arrogant and rude. He ill-treated all passengers, but his main target was the Bab. The Arab captain could no longer tolerate his behavior, so he gave order to his sailors to throw Abu Hashem overboard. When the Bab noticed the sailors were ready to throw Abu Hashem into the sea, he hurled himself upon that miserable man and begged the captain for forgiveness. The captain could not believe his eyes, because the Bob had been the main victim. The Bob told the captain that since people who behave in that manner harm only their own souls, others should be tolerant and forgiving, a new lesson for the captain and the rest of us. That stormy trip took two months going around the Arabian Peninsula. On their travel from the port city of Jeddah to Mecca, the Bab rode a camel, but Quddus refused to ride and walked all the way. In that year, the pilgrimage or hajj was hajj akbar for the greatest hajj because two dates coincided, and therefore the crowd was very large. Islamic tradition has it that the appearance of Ghaim will be in the year of hajj akbar In fulfillment of Islamic prophecy, in the middle of overwhelming crowd, the Bab stood against the structure of Kaabe, the cubical structure, held the ring of its door and three times repeated, I am the Ghaim whose advent you have been awaiting, which fell on deaf ears. These people were by name Muslims, but did not understand Islam. He sailed back to the port city of Boucher and arrived sometime before Nowruz of 1845. There he parted with Quddus with these words. The hour of separation has struck, a separation which no reunion will follow except in the kingdom of God, in the presence of the King of Glory. Quddus left Shiraz with a letter from the Bab to his uncle Sayyid Ali, 
who soon after receiving the letter and hearing convincing words of Waddu's, embraced the cause of his nephew, whom he had raised. This uncle was the only relative who during lifetime of the Bab became a believer. Of course, the Bab's wife Khadija Bagom, before his declaration, recognized his station. Soon after arrival of Goddus in Shiraz, a distinguished believer, Mullah Sadiq Khurasani, who was converted by Mullah Hussein, with his student, arrived in Shiraz. Because of their activities, they were arrested and mercilessly beaten. Mullah Sadiq received no less than one thousand lashes on his bare back. They were sentenced by the governor to lose their beards by setting fire to them. The next day, their faces blackened, a hole was made in their noses, and a string pulled through. The executioner paraded them throughout the city in streets and bazaars, collecting money from bystanders. At times the executioner violently pulled on the string to hear them scream. After his pockets were filled with money, he led them to the city gate and expelled them from the city. These three precious souls were the first to suffer in the path of God, opening the chapter of brutal tortures and never-ending martyrdoms till the number swelled to twenty thousand martyrs. The Bab spent no ruse with his uncle, who did not recognize the station of the Bab until ten years later, when through Kitabe Iran or the Book of Certitude revealed by Baha'u'llah became a believer. Towards end of June, the Bab left Boucher for Shiraz, where another act of the divine drama took place. The vicious and depraved governor Hussein Khan, who already tormented and expelled the three Babis from Shiraz, confiscated the writings of the Bab and became furious by their contents, which were admonishments to the civic and religious leaders. When he heard that the Bab was in Boucher, he decided to humiliate him so the people would realize the falsity of his claim and see that he had no powers. He dispatched his most trusted officer and sent him with number of guards to arrest the Bab and bring him as a prisoner in chains to the city for everyone to see. The Bab had already left Boucher for Shiraz. The leader of guards, who was of Aliyullahi sect of Islam, which are known for being tolerant, related this account. Having gone more than midway between Shiraz and Boucher, we encountered a youth wearing a green turban on horseback, followed by his Ethiopian servant. As we approached him, he saluted us and inquired about our destination. I tried to conceal it. He smilingly said, The governor has sent you to arrest me. Here I am. I was startled and could not believe how anyone willingly would throw himself into the clutches of the mean and furious governor. I tried to ignore him, 
As I prepared to leave, he approached me and said, I swear by God that all my life I have uttered no word but the truth, and had no wish except the welfare of my fellow men, and I wish not to subject you and your companions to the annoyance of searching for me. These words moved me profoundly. I dismounted my horse and kissed his stirrups, and begged him to grant my wish by escaping and not making me the instrument of delivering him into the hands of the ruthless and despicable governor. I said, My companions are all honorable, and our lips are sealed. I pray that you take the sanctuary of the shrine in Mashhad. Here was his response. May God reward you for your noble intention. No one knows the mystery of my cause. No one can fathom its secrets. I will never turn my face away from the decree of God. Until my last hour is at hand, none dare assail me, and none can frustrate the plan of the Almighty. Here I am. Deliver me into the hands of your master. No one will blame you. I bowed my head in consent and carried out his desire. What an awe-inspiring and moving incident! With majesty in front of his escort of guards, he entered the city, a marvelous sight for the multitude of bystanders to recognize who was in command. The Bob went straight to the seat of the government, and as soon as the governor heard about his arrival, he summoned him. He rudely ordered the Bob to sit in a chair at the center of the room across from himself. Other officials and clergy were also present. He angrily, with abusive language, denounced him, and after the Bob quoted from Quran, the governor ordered an attendant to strike the Bob in the face so violently that his turban fell to the ground. Sheikh Abu Turab, the kind Imam Jum'e, strongly disapproved the conduct of the governor and gently replaced the Bob's turban and invited him to sit by his side. After further questioning, the Bob was released upon demand of the governor for heavy bond which was produced by Sayyid Ali, the Bab's uncle. Uncle Ali took the Bab into his own house, but later the Bab went to his own house under the custody of his uncle. In this period, for the first time, the Bab had a group of followers around him. The eighteen letters of the living discovered the Bab independently, and soon after their completion they dispersed. Now the Bab was back in Shiraz, and in spite of strong measures of the governor, many Babis came into his presence, receiving tablets and instructions. His hometown saw the birth of the first Babi community. With the spread of the news of his claim, agitation of the clergy heightened to the stage of issuing the death sentence which was rejected by the hand of Providence, Sheikh Abu Turab, the Imam Jum'eh. Imam Jum'eh 
means the Friday prayer leader, which also signifies the leading clergy. With the clamor of the clergy and the outcry of the ignorant, the Imam Jum'i felt obliged to fulfill the pledge he had given during the first meeting where the Bab was abused and insulted by the governor. So he approached Uncle Ali and invited the Bab to the mosque on Friday requesting a statement from the Bab to ease the tension. On that Friday, the large mosque called masjid al was crowded beyond capacity. The courtyard, rooftops, and even minarets were filled. After all, by the order of the governor and the divines, the criers had invited all the people to witness the Bab's renunciation of his claim. Who could afford to miss that event? The Bob, accompanied by his uncle, arrived. A sudden hush descended upon the crowd, as if you could hear a pin drop. The Imam Jum'i was seated on top of the twelve-step marble pulpit. He invited the Bob to climb the pulpit. The Bob went one step. But Imam Jum'i invited him to come higher, so he climbed a couple more steps. There he denied being a representative, emissary, or gate to the twelfth imam. You should realize that he did not deny who he was. Earlier I mentioned that according to Shiites, after twelfth imam's disappearance, he sent four gates or emissaries. So the Bab denied being another gate to the twelfth imam because he was the twelfth imam or Ghaim himself and also a gate to Baha'u'llah. Following that announcement, which temporarily calmed the crowd, he wished to stay for the prayer, but the Imam Jum'e requested that it would be preferable if he would offer his prayer at home with his family. He was afraid that after the prayer the mob might harm the Bab. The message of the Bab was spreading fast, and with the event in that mosque, the King Muhammad Shah became interested to investigate the cause of the young Sayyid Ali Muhammad Bab, now only 26 years old, a delicate man with gentle voice and fair complexion. While the curtain is opening, to this momentous act of drama, and before the act unfolds, you should realize that it is one of the acts which the guardian refers to as his influence exerted on the most eminent among his countrymen. Muhammad Shah chose Sayyid Yahya Darabi, who was residing in Tehran, to go to Shiraz to investigate the cause of the Bab. Because his erudition was unmatched, he was known to have memorized no less than 30,000 traditions of Islam. On the way to Shiraz, he planned the approach. With his vast knowledge, he was confident that he could easily overcome the Bab in argument and could induce him to retract his claim. He arrived in Shiraz 
as the guest of no less a person than the governor himself, who felt honor hosting such a distinguished agent of the king. Three interviews with the barber arranged to take place at his uncle's house. You can well imagine the temporary joy of the governor and excitement in his mansion, soon to be shattered. Before the first interview, an old friend of Sayyid Yahya by the title of Azim, meaning great, who was a follower of the Bab, told Sayyid Yahya, Be most considerate and respectful in your visits, or you might regret it the rest of your life. At the first session, the interview lasted about two hours. Sayyid Yahya brought out one abstruse point after another from the Qur'an, traditions, and the work of the learned. The Bab let him present all of his points, and then, one by one, gave brief but convincing answer to each. This session excited both admiration and humility in Sayyid Yahya. In the course of second interview, Sayyid Yahya, to his amazement, discovered that he had forgotten all of his important questions, so he conversed about unrelated subjects. To his surprise, he found that the Bab was answering the questions he had momentarily forgotten. Arrogance had not vanished yet. He told himself this might have been a mere coincidence, but he was too agitated to collect his thoughts, so he asked to be excused. Don't you wish you could hear what he reported to the governor so anxiously waiting for his conquest? For the third and final interview, he resolved that in his heart he would request a commentary on Surah Kosar, a chapter from Quran, without breathing a word. Should the Bab reveal it without being asked in a manner superior to other commentaries, then he would accept the divine character of his cause. He himself states, As soon as I was ushered in his presence, a sense of fear suddenly seized me, and my limbs began to quiver. I had never experienced the slightest trace of timidity while in the presence of the king. I could hardly remain standing on my feet. The Bob, noticing my condition, came towards me and helped me to be seated next to him. The Bob said, Ask, whatever is your heart's desire? I was speechless and powerless to respond. He gazed at me and said, Should I reveal a commentary on the chapter of Kosar? Would you recognize my cause as divine? Tears flowed from my eyes as I heard him utter those words. He requested his uncle to bring his pen case and some paper. The speed of his writing and the soft and gentle murmur of his voice bewildered me. He did not pause until the whole commentary was finished. During the course of his writing, three times I was at the verge of fainting, so he asked for rose water to be sprinkled on my face. For three nights Sayyid Yahya did not return to the governor's house. He stayed as the guest of the Bab's uncle. 
as instructed by the Bab, with the help of a scribe, they transcribed and verified every part of that commentary and found it correct. Then he returned to the anxious but suspicious governor. He was impatiently questioned about his possible conversion, to which he replied, No one but God, who alone can change the hearts of men, is able to captivate the heart of Sayyid Yahya, and whoever ensnares his heart is of God. The Bab's conquest was total. Sayyid Yahya became a devoted follower with the title of Vahid, meaning the unique one, conferred upon him by the Bab. The curtain falls. But Sayyid Yahya behind the scenes became one of the greatest promoters of the faith of the Bab until, in another valiant act, in Nairiz, he offered up his life only ten days before his master to join him eternally. How could the news of such momentous conversion be kept from the outspoken Hujjat, an erudite and audacious divine of Zanjan? Hujjat, whose name was Mullah Muhammad Ali, was as eminent as Vahid. He who had boldly condemned the whole ecclesiastic hierarchy, from the four gates to the twelfth imam, to the humblest mullah, had to investigate the cause of the Bab. He sent Mullah Iskandar, a trusted man to Shiraz, who after investigation returned with writings of the Bab at the time when a number of divines were in his lecture room. As soon as he read some pages from the Bab's writing, he gathered and closed his books and said, The season of spring and wine has arrived. He began to summon from the top of pulpit with his penetrating speech all of the followers to embrace the cause. He also offered up his life in the path of his Lord with eighteen hundred companions in Zanjan six months after the martyrdom of the Bab. Vahid and Hujat are among the brilliant stars of that period. It is interesting to know that many eminent and uncorrupted divines at the time of the Bab embraced his cause, a cause whose principles were quite revolutionary in nature. The Bab's severe laws were meant to undermine the foundation of Shi'a orthodoxy and to clear the way for the coming of Baha'u'llah. As stated by himself, his laws were provisional and dependent on acceptance of Baha'u'llah to whom he was the gate. As Muslims expected the Ra'im to appear with the sword in his hand, the sword of the Bab was his cause, separating good from evil, and as the guardian stated, to administer a sudden and fatal blow to obsolete and corrupt institutions. While under house arrest, the Bab was with his family, and the believers had easy access to him. His mother did not become a believer, and some time after the Bab's departure from Shiraz, she went to Karbala with the Bab's servant, Mubarak. When Baha'u'llah was in Baghdad, he sent a few believers who knew her to visit her and give her the glad tidings. 
she became a Baha'i and thus recognized the station of the one she had given birth to. The Bab spent Nowruz of 1846 in relative peace with his family, but had foreknowledge of what was ahead. In that summer he bequeathed his property jointly to his mother and wife and moved to Uncle Ali's house for another chapter in his ministry, another breathtaking act in this moving drama. The call for this curtain is the divine intervention. After conversion of Sayyid Yahya or Vahid, the King Muhammad Shah was here to say, We have heard that our emissary Sayyid Yahya has accepted the cause of the Bab. We can no longer ignore that cause. The crafty and notorious Prime Minister, so afraid for the security of his own position in the case of the conversion of the king, sent an order to the governor of Shiraz to kill the Bab. The assignment was delegated by the governor to the police chief, who, with his men, in the middle of night, by way of rooftop, entered Uncle Ali's house and arrested the Bab. Their instruction and intention was to take the Bab to the governor's house for the shameful act. As soon as they reached the streets, they found the city in turmoil, with dead bodies being carried towards the city gate. Soon they learned that the deadly disease of cholera had struck, and the governor had left the city for safety. The chief decided to take the Bob to his own house, when, to his extreme dismay, he learned that his own son was on his deathbed. He pleaded with the Bob not to punish his son for his own wrongdoing. Now it was the hour of dawn, and the Bob, in preparation for his prayer, was performing his ablutions. He gave the water from his ablution to the chief for the son to drink. The police chief was so overwhelmed with the joy of his son's recovery that he sent a message to the governor to release the Bob before the whole province gets wiped out by the disease. The governor responded with his consent, pending that the Bob immediately leave the city. What gratitude for his curing the young man! They did not have the decency to let him go home and say, his final farewell to his mother and wife. The Bob, not wishing to alarm his wife and mother, sent a message to his uncle to come and see him. He broke the news of his immediate forced departure and entrusted both his mother and wife to the uncle's care with expression of his love and assurance. That final farewell, that last embrace with his uncle, who had raised him, was so overwhelming and revealing. He told his uncle, I will meet you again in the mountains of Azerbaijan, when I will send you to obtain the crown of martyrdom. I myself will follow you with one of my loyal disciples, and will join you in the realm of eternity. In that September of 1846, another chapter was closed and a page was turned to a more peaceful chapter. As he directed his steps towards Esfahan, once the capital 
of the Safavid dynasty. He wrote to the governor Manucher Khan, who was of Christian background, asking for shelter. Highly impressed with the hand-delivered letter, he appointed Imam Jum'e of Isfahan to open his home to the Bab. Imam Jum'e sent his brother and people close to him to go some distance in advance to welcome the Bab, and he himself greeted the Bab at the city gate. He showed such dedication that instead of asking a servant, he himself poured water on the Bab's hands. Gatherings of people of all ranks were held. The people were so impressed by his words and superhuman power that in one occasion people came to take away the water he had used for ablution. Manucher Khan, the governor, also paid a visit when he asked the Bab to write on specific station of the mission of Muhammad. Within two hours he wrote fifty pages ending it with the appearance of the Ghaim, to follow by return of Imam Hussein, which Baha'u'llah fulfilled. The governor, in praise, testified to the superhuman power of the Bab, and that no learning could match it. What a difference between the two governors, the typical contrast of good and evil. It is obvious that soon the jealousy of the clergy was aroused. With reports regularly going to the prime minister, a letter of reprimand came to the Imam Jum'e for harboring the Bab. As the situation tensed up, the governor invited the Bab to his mansion for a meeting when he decided to keep the Bab. This was forty days after his arrival in Esfahan. The divines carried their hostility to the point of signing the Bab's death sentence. This Imam Jum'e, unlike the one in Shiraz, was somewhat timid and did not agree with the death sentence because he found the Bab to be without reason and judgment, meaning insane. But whatever his reason, the danger was averted. Manu Khan became a perfect host to the Bab who spent four peaceful months in a special quarter of his mansion. To mislead the clergy soon after the Bab went to his mansion, under pretext of transferring the Bab to Tehran with five hundred guards, he had the Bab return in disguise to his mansion. The rumor was spread that the Bab had been executed in Tehran, but many believers who, on the Bab's instruction, had moved to Esfahan, knew his whereabouts and had access to him. The governor was among the very few in influence and wealth, which was estimated at forty million francs, translating into many billion dollars of today. In spite of all that pomp, he waited in person on the Bab and served his meals. He was so devoted to the Bab that he offered his immense wealth to the Bab as well as his army so they could march to Tehran for a meeting with the king. He hoped the king who trusted him so much would listen and recognize the truth of the Bab's cause so it could spread fast in the country and beyond its borders. To this the Bab replied, May God reward you for your noble intention 
which to me is more precious than the act itself. Your days and mine are numbered and too short to witness realization of your hopes. The triumph of this cause will be accomplished through the poor and lowly of this land and their blood which will be shed. Of your earthly life there remains only three months and nine days. Manushar Khan died exactly when the Bab had predicted, and although in his will he left everything to the Bab, his nephew and successor appropriated everything, and Muhammad Shah being informed of the whereabouts of the Bab ordered his transfer in disguise to Tehran for a meeting. In one source it is mentioned that the Bab had offered to cure the king's uncontrollable and worsening gout. No doubt, if this is true, the king was more than anxious to meet the Bab. What did Mirza Aghasi, the prime minister, think about all of this? Well, you need to listen to the rest of the story. On the way to Tehran, an interesting incident occurred. There is a city on the way called Kashan, in which only two believers were living, one Haji Mirza Jani and the other famous Ahmad, in whose honor later on Baha'u'llah revealed the tablet of Ahmad. It was right before approaching that city when Mirza Jani dreamed that the Bab, whom he had never seen, on horseback with others was riding towards a certain gate when Mirza Jani approached the Bab, and he was told by the Bab, We will spend Nowruz at your home and will be your guest for three days. Prepare yourself. Mirza Jani woke up and knew that this was a true dream, so he cleaned the house and prepared a room and went by that gate. That gate was called the Gate of Attar. Late in the afternoon he saw horsemen approaching and soon discovered that they were guards and the Bob exactly as seen in his dream was among them. He went to kiss the stirrup on the horse of the Bob, but the Bob prevented him and told him the same word heard in his dream. Muhammad Beg, the chief guard, thought they were old friends and had no objection to let the Bob enter the city, but the rest of the guard resisted the idea, not wishing to deviate from their orders not to enter any city. However, Muhammad Beg persuaded them to withdraw their objection. Mirza Johnny invited the guards also to spend the days in his place, but the Bab said, I alone will come to your home. What happened in those three days, and Ahmad seeing his lord for the first time, is beyond the scope of this talk. 